Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. And today we are joined by Brandon Wilson. And Brandon is going to talk to us, among other things, about leadership sabotage, which I think we have all, in some fashion, experienced during our careers. So welcome, Brandon. Thank you for joining us. He's currently based in the US and I will say for our listeners' benefit is recovering from COVID. So we're very happy to have him here with us today. Absolutely. I I would not let COVID sabotage this opportunity. <laughs> Very good. Very Fabulous. good. The first question we asked you, which I'm, I'm interested in terms of the change in the workplace over the last two years, is do you see that leadership sabotage is more prevalent, particularly in the last two years, than, than you might have seen prior to the change in the working environment that we've had? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a tough question. And and it's one I, I want to give a more a more nuanced answer to yeah. than uh, than your listeners might expect. In terms of of talking about whether or not it's more or less, and if the shift to a virtual work environment is adequate cause for that for that difference, uh, I think it's it's it's, t- it's it's a tough analysis to make. What's a more easy analysis to make? is that there has been a change in our performance culture mm-hmm. that is perhaps giving more award to people who achieve success by bare knuckle brawls. You know, I, I remember a time early in my career, more than 20 years ago, where slow and steady won the race, uh, mm-hmm. but now it's quick and dirty to get to the next place. And I think it's that kind of, of attitude that's becoming more and more pervasive that's leading to some bad habits that's starting to dominate the conversation with regard to how we define high achievement. Mm-hmm. And to be high and high achiever now, you have to be ambitious. Uh, it's a word that we, we hadn't heard quite as often, quite as much as we do now tied to high achievement is ambitious. Am- ambition is a character flaw. Uh, ambition is in an, an uninsatiable, unenquenchable drive to get to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you get there, you get goal drunk and you go look for the next thing. And then you go and look for the next thing. The more you feed it, the more insatiable it becomes, the more thirsty it becomes, which leads a lot of high achievers, if they prescribe to high achievement as ambitious, to start working with blind ambition or doing things, mm. making decisions, taking actions without a lot of regard for people around them. And it's just one example of, of how the way we talk about leadership has shifted and is making it more and more commonplace and, dare I say, more and more acceptable yeah. to have yeah. bad leadership behavior in the workplace. So do you see a trend to what we would call ruthless decision-making? Yeah, ruthless. <laughs> it's a great word for it. I think it's about results. The results matter. But I long to see a day, and I hope that my book, Sabotage, Leadership That, o- that Overcomes, Betrayal, theft, and deceit makes it more fashionable to talk about mm. people. Yes. Not just results, but about people. You know, mm. think about when we talk about, you know, who we are, 
there are two ways to talk about ourselves. Uh, the first way is to talk about ourselves in terms of what we do. Yeah. That is becoming more fashionable. You know, I am a chief executive. Uh, yeah. I am yeah. a board member. I am an advisor. I am a, men- a professional mentor. I am a senior vice president. I dare say you're none of those things. You know, you, you are Barbara. You are Jane. You know, yes. who, who, is yeah. that, who is that person? Right. And I think we need to get back to to that world in order to bring more focus and clarity on how we help people become better leaders who then drive purer results more consistently. And we're jumping over a lot of the human aspects of leadership, the human aspects of 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 execution and right to the results. And, and if we do that, we, we miss the opportunity consistently, miss the opportunity to attribute where those results came from. And so, and if we only talk about success mm-hmm. in terms of the result and being ruthless about that, that 1% gain, that 13% return in the S&P, that, that modest growth in, in, in what you save in your budget over the last quarter, then what we do is every every achievement shrinks us. I want you to think about that. It, it shrinks us. It's make, it makes us smaller and more insular. And by focusing on people and the and the ceiling for capacity and for ability and for development that the people who will be actually executing those things are making them your focus, you actually become broader. Because yeah. with every success, every win you're finding more unlocked potential. You're finding more capacity. You're finding more personality and characteristics to find fits within your organization. And so the reason we don't want to get to that place is because when we talk about people, when we focus on people, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. And that is difference. We have disagreements with each other. (laughs) And that is one of the most challenging Addressing those disagreements is perhaps one of the most challenging, most uh, longing to avoid things about leading leaders is that the people we're leading will disagree. And it's easier just to talk about that percentage and to talk about that growth and to talk about that, you know, that next goal as it is to talk about how to get people to play well with each other. And I will dare say in in my last statement here. Uh, is that the acme of leadership is being able to achieve mastery in unlocking the power of collective impact, getting people to work collectively to do that which is bolder, more audacious, and more uh, enterprising than that which we can do on our own. It's very interesting because in my early days of my career, so we're talking 40 plus years ago, in a training and development sense, we introduced the idea of synergy to teams. And so synergy was going to be that the the, the total was going to be more than the sum of the parts. That's right. And that was very, very prevalent in training working teams for probably 10 years. And I haven't heard it talked about since that time. I read a great piece, <clears throat> some quotes by Peter Drucker, uh, and yeah. a revolutionary professional yeah. coach. And yeah. uh, he tells this great story about synergy and how it died on the, <laughs> on, the on the battlefield. 
and when it when it died, it was replaced with what he refers to uh, as the most natural law of them all, and that is self preservation. I mean, I, I mean, I just thought it was just incredible. Yeah. Stroke of wisdom and clarity. Uh, the question that, that drives self-preservation is, is does this advance my position? Mm. So every time, every time I have a chance to do something, to make a decision, to interact with someone, to build a broader network, the question that, that determines whether I do it or not in that natural law is, does this advance my position? I mean, think of, yeah. think about that. I mean, that is such a yeah. very small place to begin the conversation. And think but, about but, how far yeah. that person is from, from the acme of leadership, which is collective impact. Yeah. Because you're, you're even so small within yourself that you're asking, you're thinking about a position per yourself, not even your environment, just where I am today. And that is mm-hmm. such a uh, small way to start the conversational leadership. It's very insular and I think very prevalent. Because we are not encouraged to think beyond, it's the me generation, you know, look after me first and everything else will fall into place. And, and you, you don't live in isolation, you don't exist in isolation. So you always have to interact with people, unless you're a hermit or a hobo. You know, you, you, you just, it's going to be a time where you have to interact with someone. And if you expect to, to move in organisations, then you, you need to network. You need to understand what's happening in the organisation. And I think it's been lost. I really do think it's been lost. Good leaders always talk about we and us. That's right. The, the leaders that aren't so good is the self-preserved ones. It's about me, my image, my performance. And what can I get out of it myself? And anybody that gets in my way is the disruptor. That's right. That's right. No, which, which, which gives way to these activities that we talk about in terms of leadership sabotage. Mm -hmm. Well, let me back up and say that we know about, but that nobody wants to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason we don't want to talk about is because we believe that talking about being sabotaged does not advance our position. <laughs> okay. So, so in, in fact, it makes it worse because it looks like I was weak enough to let this happen to me. Absolutely. Yes. But, but, but who wins when we do that? When we suffocate the dialogue yeah. about this omnipresent force that seeks to limit us and rob the world of our leadership gifts? Who wins? Yeah. The saboteurs. Yes. They win every single time because we lack the, the scientific data needed, the evidence needed to look to patterns of behavior that will show us when the, those limiting forces have made it close to our personal or professional networks mm-hmm. because we don't talk about it. And what I learned in, in, in my study of leadership sabotage is, is not only how pervasive it is, but also how unwilling leaders are, high achieving leaders are to talk about their inevitable bouts with it. And, and, and the reason I say inevitable, because if you are an achiever, you've dealt with sabotage. <laughs> and when you go and speak to uh, give the commencement address at, at your alma mater, uh, at, at Harvard or give a lecture at Yale, 
you're going to talk about all of the great, the the great things you achieved, Mm -hmm. the goals you set and you did, the expectations you made and surpassed. Let me just put it another way. How, how boring is a movie where the, the main character has one note, has no color, has mm. no, no, there's no, prota- no antagonist. Mm. There's nobody there. And so I think talking about that time when you were betrayed by a partner who you trusted mm. and how you achieved despite those things, how not only precious that story is and relevant it is, but, but also how helpful it is in helping us to navigate corporate career mazes that are made of so much more than just bricks, mortars, desks, and computers, Mm -hmm. but populated with people with their own self-interest, populated with people with their own ambitions, their own character flaws, their own home life situations that may cloud the judgments they bring to work, that's clouded by the pressures from the board that may be put upon that CEO that leads her to act erratically or irrationally when asking you for expectations. Imagine being able to have the skills, the armor, and the, and the artillery, the equipment needed to navigate that world. You become so much more of a samurai uh, mm-hmm. in the art of war when we prepare each other to navigate that landmine and be yeah. successful as opposed to just jumping from desk to desk and from office to office, because that's not the reality that we live in. And so I wrote the book to provide people with that equipment needed to understand the lenses and the intentions of people who surround us all along our career runway. This seems like a good place to take a pause in our discussion with Brandon Wilson. Join us for part two. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. This is Inside Exec and we're talking with Brandon Wilson.